the impudence, the audacity, the unmitigated gall of those knuckleheads of liberty podcasters daring to voice opinions outside the mainstream of accepted thought. Listen, if you dare, it's angry, it's funny, it's even sometimes sad, but it's always based on freedom and justice, as you will see. Here's our host, Jason McPhee. Welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty. We're coming at you on December 26, 2022, a day after Christmas. And we have a special treat for you today. We are going to be talking with David DeLugas of Parents USA on a few items related to parental rights. And, um, you know, I tell you, this is a, a certainly an important subject because we see that these, uh, you know, the government is constantly sort of infringing upon that parent-child relationship all over the country in different areas. And we see it happening in education, uh, sort of gender identity issues, all sorts of things. Uh, but before we get into this, let me introduce you to our panel. In our upper left-hand corner, we have Leon, the word Brathwaite, last word in liberty. He is a retired engineer in the state of California. In our upper right-hand corner, we have David DeLugas of Parents USA. He is the executive director, founder, and a practicing attorney. And um, before we go into the show, let me also give you the uh, disclaimer that don't take this show as legal advice. If you have a specific issue, you need to go out there and consult an attorney yourself. Um, okay, well, let's jump right into it. So uh, first, uh, James, could you bring up the website real quick? So Parents USA, just so people know where they can go. Uh, it's uh, parentsusa.org, and you can definitely go there if you want to sort of figure out how you can help or if you also uh, figure maybe you need help because somehow you're uh, you feel like the government is sort of infringing on you and you might be able to get some information there that might help you out um, but let's talk a little bit about some of the areas where the government is infringing on uh, some of these parent-child relationships and it has to do with medical advice is what we're getting into. Mm -hmm. And so in this particular case, now this didn't actually pass, but it was close to passing and sort of we all lived through COVID. And the idea that the state was really trying to find a lot of ways to force you to take in a, uh, to give your child an experimental vaccine. And, you know, keep in mind too, that these vaccines usually have like an eight to 10 year development process. Um, but we were told that within about a six month window that seemed to be driven by an election that you know, <laughs> we magically had a cure that you should just blindly shove into your child's arm. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, and, you know, it's one of those things, you know, where we all have different risk tolerances, but the bottom line is to see the government forcing it is where the real issue starts to become. And, uh, you know, in California, they were actually looking to push a bill, but it got pulled. And maybe that's because our governor Newsom has some uh, uh, aspirations for president. <laughs> so maybe he didn't want that to be, uh, but, you know, yeah, hey, go ahead. Go ahead, David. Hey, Jason, leave that screen up for just a minute, if you would. Um, and here's what I'd like every viewer to do. Read this headline, California bill to allow minors to be and take the word vaccinated out without parental consent. Right. That was that's a bill. And insert in vaccinated anything else you want to put in there. Anything else. Yeah. Drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, get a tattoo, get piercings without regard to age, um, you know, and again, parents will agree and disagree about this. Many parents did get vaccinated and were, were clamoring for vaccinations so-called approved 
for their children of various ages all the way down to infants, right? They wanted this. But that's the freedom of America. It should be, is for parents to decide, for parents to have made a conscious decision about what they want for themselves and what they want for their children. And the state shouldn't be forcing anything on anybody until they've met the threshold of the compelling governmental interest shown by clear and convincing evidence. And here's, here's really the question. What was there disagreement among medical experts about the efficacy of the vaccinations and the boosters by the various companies that came forward? And the answer is, of course there was. Yes, there was, yes. And if you go in for an examination and your doctor says you need open heart surgery, you probably are going to go get a second opinion. Why? Because you want to confirm it and different doctors will disagree. So if doctors can disagree, why shouldn't parents be allowed? This is a rhetorical question for those who haven't caught on yet. Uh, Parents should be allowed to research and decide on their own and the government shouldn't be trying to withhold information coming from those with uh, different opinions, uh, both medical opinions and personal opinions, anecdotal opinions. Disinformation is one of those words that we, we just really have to attack and say, in a free society, again, First Amendment's there to allow all speech out, and it's up to the listener and the viewer to decide which pieces they're going to listen to and agree with, disagree with. More information is the cleansing element of disinformation. But this is exactly what the government was trying to do. Because yes. during, the pand- during the pandemic and the development of the vaccines, we had people talking about, oh, we want the social media platforms to censor misinformation, disinformation, and they were clamoring for it. I mean, we had the, um, the press secretary for, for, um, for, for Biden, um, Jan Saki standing there at the podium talking about, oh, we want these social media companies to know more about spreading about the spreading of misinformation concerning COVID and, and, and the vaccines. But well, this is the government speaking here. And this, correct. this is horrible. Government's powerful statewide uh, in each state and the federal government. Look, the picture you have on screen shows a child with a mask on. There was a lot of disagreement then and even more so now about the efficacy and the necessity of wearing masks. If you're not immunocompromised, maybe wearing a mask is a consideration for others, so-called, but depends on the mask, the quality of the mask, if you're wearing it properly, if you're touching or not. Again, the information's out there, and the question Mm -hmm. is, should government be mandating, making it required, by law for adults or children. And if you're gonna make my child wear something, and again, each parent is different, not my child, it's up to you to decide, parent, for your child. And you don't get to decide for my child, and I have a 16-year-old. So that said, government also shouldn't be deciding because part of the issue, again, comes back to what's the clear and convincing evidence in a due process setting that that we are participating in, in which some fact finder, independent judiciary, and boy, do we all have questions about, are any of the federal judges or state judges actually independent, or Mm -hmm. are they compromised politically because they got appointed, or they're looking for re-election in the states that elect their judges? We've got real questions, and we're, we're, we're 
towing the line here of saying, well, government's there to do anything and everything it wants to do whenever it wants to do it because, quote, unquote, it's better for society. Yeah, we all need to be looking at everything that's done and, and second guessing it, questioning it, subjecting it to close scrutiny and deciding, is this the proper use of government? Is it the proper role of government under our Constitution? Even if it might be good, might be better in your subjective opinion, doesn't mean it needs to be imposed on everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, well, the government, the government answer to everything is is one size fits all, and one size fits all could not could not possibly deal with the uniqueness of each child and or each circumstances under which that child is living. So this is this any any imposition like that is bound to fail. It's it it it, it is like totally foreseeable, but the failures that are going to occur when you offer in a one size fits all for every yeah. possible situation that could develop. Well, the real frightening part to me, sitting where I sit and the work I do, is how many parents actually would applaud such a law. As in, oh, I got my child vaccinated. Now I need to make sure every other parent gets their child vaccinated. Right. Let's yeah. use the power, the power of the government to make that happen. Where I, I, I really wish they would think, but what if it was something the government wanted to impose on you that you disagreed with? Would you be as comfortable taking that same position because right. the other parents were able to get some legislator to introduce a bill to make you do something you disagreed with with respect to your child? Be careful what you wish for. The, the use and abuse of government power is um, too quick in many cases and uh, too all-encompassing, and, and Leon's correct. One size doesn't fit all, whether you're talking about adults or children, in regard to most everything. It's just a, a general rule that's out there. There's no magic in some of these numbers, uh, particularly age. At a certain age, you're allowed to do this. Before that age, you're not allowed to do that. How, how did that number come into play or come into to being because we're still using things like 18 remember at one time it was you could drink alcohol in any state at age 18 in some states younger but the federal mm -hmm. government passed a law that said we're going to allocate highway dollars to states but only if you raise your age to 21 for for people to drink alcohol and all the states did it because they're motivated by money so again money can money works as a motivator and age is arbitrary because every state up to that point in time thought 18 or younger was old enough to drink alcohol, no longer. So we need to be careful when we see something come down the pipe. And if you agree with it, that still doesn't make it something that government should be doing to everybody. Well, and, and that's the funny thing, too, is that, you know, these these central planning one size fits all edicts, even if they have the best motivation, that's a problem that there's no competition there. But then the, the fact that we know that they don't always have the best uh, motivation, like we, we specifically saw with the case of Fauci and some of these others and in the Surgeon General at the time, too, just talking about masks, let alone all the uncertainties of an injection that they're going to put into your arm. But the masks, they literally told us at first, don't wear the mask then magically within a month they told us do wear the mask then they told us mm -hmm. wear two masks yeah, yeah. 
know, there's just, uh, you know, a, a ridiculous amount of uh, contradictions. And then at, at one point, Fauci even told us that he specifically lied about the first time he said exactly. it. He thought it was exactly. in the public that he, <laughs> that he <laughs> lied. <laughs> J- Jason, Leon, here, here's my particular insight to the extent it's of value to anybody. I don't mind government saying here's a recommendation based on research we did. If government wants to give us the food pyramid, which again has changed over the years because newer information from our health and medical and nutrition community tells us it's different now. But government at one time said, here's the food pyramid. Now it's here's a different food pyramid. Information being shared by government. I'm not, again, sure whether under the Constitution that's the proper role of government, but fine. Share the information. It's when it becomes from a recommendation to a mandate, when it becomes law, when it becomes punishable if you fail to comply, or or just as scary, we should all be worried about this. And we're, we're talking about things that have been very controversial for years now, from the pandemic, which is both masks and social distancing and the, the little cages we put kids in with plastic as if the restricting the airflow is going to somehow corral a virus but that said when government says here's our suggestion but does it in such a powerful way that people become literally carrying pitchforks and and torches storming everybody who's not doing it calling out anybody who's not doing it getting into fist fights accosting and assaulting others because you're not wearing your mask that's a dangerous place that we've entered because we've allowed it to happen to us. We all, including those who are against certain things. If you were against a mask and reacted as an, oh, that person's wearing a mask, what a fool or idiot or whatever, think again, you're being judgmental about them and trying to tell them whether they should or shouldn't wear a mask. They want to wear a mask, let them wear a mask. It's a free society. But when somebody's trying to tell you, you should be able to resist and say, no, thank you. I don't care to do that. We all need to take a step back and wonder if our point of view needs to be imposed on others. Um, and if you don't like it, an example is if I'm not wearing a mask and you wish I was, you don't like it, then walk away from me. You don't, you don't need to get in my face and tell me I'm I'm a horrible person for not mm-hmm. wearing a mask. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is the, the crazy thing with, with all of this that we saw is that, um, you know, is there's just this tremendous amount of pressure that's put on uh, on even these scientific institutions by the government. I mean, you mentioned the freeway funding with uh, um, alcohol and, and uh, teens. And, you know, we, we also saw, too, that if you wound up, uh, Jay Bhattacharya talked about this out of Stanford, that, um, it, you know, that uh, essentially Fauci was in charge of a lot of NIH funding. So if you were somebody who was contradicting Fauci, odds are you weren't going to get a lot of that NIH funding for your research. So lo and behold, uh, you know, you, you became very silent if you didn't disagree with Fauci during the, uh, uh, the whole COVID thing. But I, mean, I, if, I did, you, if you disagreed, you said didn't disagree. Exactly. Oh, oh sorry. I meant disagreed. Yes. Or yeah. didn't agree. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in fact, I have an image up here too. Uh, this is an old far side joke, but uh, laboratory peer pressure. And this felt a little bit maybe like what was going on on with some of our government uh, for science, I guess you might say. Uh, but uh, uh, and for those of you who might be listening, uh, it's an old far side joke where there's a couple of scientists who take in the mystery uh, liquid and they're trying to get the scientist who hasn't taken it to imbibe. 
<laughs> but um, but there, there's some other issues too that I wanted to. Uh, uh, th- this brings up some other issues, and uh, in California, they're actually pushing a transgender care bill um, that is. It's, it's, I guess it's going to, it's, it's something where if, if your child comes to California, they can actually wind up taking your rights away a lot easier as a parent if you disagree uh, with your child's uh, uh, desire, I guess, for gender-affirming health care. So this goes into this sort of nebulous area that we're seeing again, where there's a lot of politics involved, and yet the government is sort of inserting itself in in your ability as a parent to potentially guide your child. Um, and uh, uh, this is something, too, that uh, Newsom has signed this as well recently. So uh, what do you guys think about this? You know, the idea that if, gosh, if, if your kid comes to California, uh, uh, you may have trouble if even if you don't live in the state with, uh, you know, if your child expresses a desire to, um, you know, I guess, transition or, get, or have uh, gender affirming care and you don't approve of it as a parent. You see, well, this, I guess I guess David will ask the question, what is the compelling state interest involved here? You see, let us let us be clear. OK. Gender dysphoria is real. There's no doubt about that. It is a real phenomenon that some people really do experience, and they do need help to fix that problem. But gender dysphoria is a psychological disorder, and they are trying to tell us this so-called gender-affirming care is making cosmetic physiological changes to the externals of a human being's body and say that will somehow fix a psychological disorder. I am telling you, gender-affirming care, and just the name is so offensive, gender-affirming care is junk science. That's what it is. It's not going to solve any problems for this poor child who's going through this thing. And yet the state is intervening on the side of the junk science to create, to create this new set of people, this new set of, this new human being, I would imagine, where they think, so what, I mean, even using the word gender-affirming, what are they trying to affirm? Are they trying to affirm the psychological disorder or are they trying to affirm your, your, your physiological makeup? Which, which one they are trying to affirm? It is junk science we are dealing with here. But gender dysphoria is real and people do need psychological help to get through it. As a matter of fact, most of the kids who suffer from, uh, things like 95% or something like that, who suffer from gender dys, dysphoria, they grow out of it. But imagine you making life changes Life altering changes at nine or ten years old or twelve years old. This is insane, truly. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. as we talked off air before we came on, uh, substitute any other topic into gender uh, dysphoria or gender affirming or gender opposing care. Uh, parents who support their children, let's let's call it support support their child's gender dysphoria by allowing a medical provider, consenting to a medical provider, giving hormone blockers or uh, allowing surgery to remove certain genitalia uh, or in a case of a, um, a, a gender changing a woman, to, a girl to a boy is to have her breasts removed. As you, Leon points out, that's life changing. As far as the junk science, I'm, I'm going to defer from commenting on that, but more going this way. 
a parent who goes in one direction or the other direction with their child who has expressed some interest in or, or some gender dysphoria and some interest in transitioning to a different different uh, gender is the one who affirms and supports that and says, let's go do it, or the one who says, let's not do it, depending on other parents, will disagree with the, any, any parent who does that. So ultimately, it comes back to what's the compelling state interest and who gets to decide. So the problem with the bill, as I see it, is that it's making a determination without due process involved. It doesn't allow the parents, first of all, it's assuming that whatever a child says or believes is to be taken as fact and truth and whatever the parents are doing or not doing has to be looked at as, oh, that's absolutely the case without any inquiry. And assuming and taking away a child, I, I suspect that's going to end up in litigation because state, you know, the 50 states, the federal government, the U.S. Constitution, and the rights and privileges clauses and various aspects of it um, don't necessarily allow one state to say, we're going to take your child from you. You're not a resident of the state. Our child is visiting on vacation, maybe came to seek refuge uh, in your state because you have this particular law. But that doesn't mean the state of California has a right to, uh, I'm sorry, has the power or authority constitutionally to take the child out of my care. What if it was something else, something less controversial? Uh, again, you could use um, tattoos, you could use uh, uh, smoking or smoking pot or something else the child wants to do, the parents are opposed to doing. Does the state of California get to decide, oh, the child's uh, eight years old and wants to smoke pot, the child's 10, wants to drink alcohol, the child's 15 or seven wants to get a tattoo and you parents are not supporting the child's view or desire, we're going to intervene and allow the child to do whatever they want to do. You're an awful parent and we have a compelling state interest. Again, let's just change what it is that the bill allows to something a little less controversial or a lot less controversial uh, and where there's much less disagreement and say, no, you know what? Children are children and shouldn't be permitted to make these major decisions because, as everyone knows, or everyone who travels knows, until you're age 25, rental car companies won't even rent you a car because they have statistics that say, and the medical community is in solidly in place <clears throat> until about 25. Uh, men and women, boys and girls, don't yet have a fully developed brain and therefore aren't making good judgment calls. That's one of the reasons. And that's why your insurance rates are higher until 25. That's a medical fact. But we can't just ignore medicine when it comes to other decisions. So, the, again, it goes back to whether it's government or parents who get to make these decisions. Now, look, in Alabama, there was, there was a bill that prevented parents with a doctor and their child from having gender affirming care uh, at all, even if the doctor believed it was appropriate, even if the parents consented to it. That's just as bad a government intervention in this regard. If the parents, and again, we may disagree in, in, uh, about whether it may be appropriate for your child, but if another parent believes gender affirming care is appropriate for their child based upon the child being uh, in the care of a psychologist or psychiatrist, 
seeing an endocrinologist being involved over a period of time, and the parents are convinced this child needs this care. Mind you, there's a fair amount of controversy and concern that some of the medical community have become advocates rather than have become medical practitioners who are trying to do no harm and help their patients. That's another topic altogether. But the state also has no business in telling parents what they cannot do. You cannot have that surgery for your child to repair a, a, a torn meniscus because we don't want to allow parents to ever have torn meniscus in the knee. I'm, I'm again using an analogy in a completely different area where there should be no controversy. Your child gets hurt playing sports and the state of Alabama says you can't have that surgery. Even though the medical community and medical doctor of your child and you as a parent say that child should have that surgery. Government shouldn't have that power. Either way. Yes, true. I see I see a point that on one side we um we do not want parents to lose their rights to um to raise their child as they see fit. On the other side, you can see the issue of the of, of what le- at what point in time do you see harm being done to a child and thus develop this compelling state interest that we have been talking about. But in the case of gender affirming care and why I call it junk science and I'm I know we, I I'm not going to try to engage you in a, in, in a debate here. But the reason why I call it junk science is because I think we could both agree that gender dysphoria is a psychological disorder. I think we could both agree on that. Now, if it is a psychological disorder, it must be treated psychologically, not physiologically. That is my only point of why I call it junk science. Now, as to the point, as to the point about, about little kids and about being harmed, what we are talking about in terms of gender, the agenda of women care, if we could use that offensive word, what we are talking about truly is the mutilation of children. That is what we are talking about here because we are doing something physiologically. We are removing healthy body parts from a child in this gender-affirming care. That is what we are doing. So I'm not going to try to engage you in a, in a debate about junk science or not, but you cannot treat a psychological disorder with a physiological solution. Okay, I don't know how that could work. Oh, well, sorry, sorry, let me just jump in here real quick. Uh, James, can you bring up the article? Because this also gets to the point of what you guys are talking about right here. So uh, this isn't just happening in California, so to speak, but it's, to a lesser degree, it's happening at the national level. Biden launched a plan uh, to protect transgender youth health care. And right. I, I guess it's specifically in response to what's happening in Florida, where uh, it sounds like they are banning gender affirming care for minors. So this is, I, I think David sort of alluded to some of this that, that may be happening in the other direction in some places as well. Right. So, um, so so there's certainly uh, that issue going on. But, you know, Leon, there is one other thing, I guess, as an analogy. Um, suppose you had something like Christian science or something like that, and, and somebody said that they're not going to get uh, health care for their kid um, because their belief system doesn't allow that. Um, I, I guess it, to me, it seems like there's almost an analogy here between what you're talking about with gender affirming care too. I mean, if, uh, you, cause you say, if it's not physiological or whatever, then, um, 
certainly this is a, a spiritual thing with Christian science where they don't believe in Western medicine. Therefore, they say, okay, I'm not going to allow my kid to have this this uh, treatment, whatever it may be. And we're not talking about gender affirming care in that case, but it's just any care. Um, so I, I don't know, David, did you have any thoughts on that as well? Uh, that sort of um, yeah and, and look I, I I like you you both very much and I appreciate your li- liberty and freedom perspective because I share that uh, entirely um, and, and we're probably a little off track when we get into specifics but he, here's um, a point of view that I want you to consider life is um, and, and I just saw this on uh, always I, I, and forever. there's a famous national sportscaster who had a floating left eye and the left eye was he was blind in his left eye but it also wouldn't necessarily be looking where his right eye was looking and he told the story of how he would come home and cry and as a child and even as an adult because people would make fun of it so it's a psychological issue but it was fixed by having surgery on his left eye so as to make it not drift off so Again, I use that as only an example to say there can be situations, there can be, where a doctor, medical doctor, psychologist or psychiatrist, in conjunction with parents and their child, make a determination that for the child's health and welfare, going forward with a particular course of treatment is appropriate for that child. I don't know that either the government or any of us have a right or obligation to intervene and say, we disagree. We may disagree, but we should not have the power to stop what the parents, the child, the medical providers for that child have determined is best for that child. That's freedom. But it should work the other way. Also, the government shouldn't be telling parents uh, that if your child espouses or takes a particular position or belief with respect to something, anything, including gender dysphoria, that the parents have no right to, to control the welfare and the, the treatment of their child. Um, there must be due process. And it, it would be extraordinarily difficult for me to comprehend how you could have due process without in and of itself intervening in the parent-child relationship by forcing parents to defend their position because we don't do it in any other area of our society and say, well, you need to defend your decision not to let your child get a driver's license till they're 17 or 18, even though um, they could get one at 16 because you don't believe they're adequately prepared to drive. Or we're, we, we disagree with your decision to uh, ensure that your, your child has their hair cut a certain length. If we don't get involved in those, and yet it's having an impact on that child's self-image, how they appear at school, how they get along with their peers. Again, I use those as illustrations of this is not the proper role of government to intervene in each and every situation only when it's politically appropriate or, or politically motivated when the the underlying reason is not necessarily the care or prevention of harm to a child because we don't apply universally across all subject matters. That is the best, in my view, the best way for all of us to look at any of this, whether it's the parent. So we don't want in Alabama, as I say, Alabama's trying to say, parents, you are not allowed to affirm your child's 
gender dysphoria by permitting a medical provider, an MD, and a PhD or psychiatrist with an MD to provide a course of treatment. You're not allowed to do that, Alabama says. California takes the opposite and says, hey, parents, you're not allowed to prevent your child from doing anything your child wants to do. Neither, neither perspective is appropriate in a constitution-based society where freedom and liberty and control and management, privacy interests of your family, control management, companionship of your child are all at play. The topic, keep in mind, again, Alabama and California are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. But, but I, think, I think we all believe that freedom and liberty comes the, with certain responsibilities, and that those responsibilities include do no harm to another, another individual. I think so. But Leon, of, course, of course, I agree with you. But just as in most everything else, including going back to when we were talking about um, COVID vaccinations, when we we're talking about masks, there is disagreement. And we each can agree with certain opinions and uh, so-called expert opinions in one direction or another and scrutinize the information that's being given and come to our own conclusion but when it comes back to freedom and liberty and the do no harm, the question is, again, Alabama says, even if the doctors and the parents agree, we're not going to allow you because we take the position you're doing harm to your child. California takes the opposite position and says, we're not going to allow you to even try to prevent your child from doing something because we we believe that child has a right to have that particular treatment. Doesn't not doesn't apply to other types of medical care. Um Again, look, state of Georgia has a law that allows a, a minor, uh, f- obviously female, who's, pre- well, I say obviously, right, pregnant female to go before a judge without knowledge or consent of her parents. Parents don't even get notice of the hearing in front of a judge. And if the child, the, do- the, the girl can convince a judge that she would be hurt by her parents, they would be so angry at her, the punishment or whatever is sufficient the child can get court consent to a medical provider to do an abortion on that child, right? Without the parents even knowing she'd gone to court. That is problematic. Again, if you took abortion out and you just put some other medical procedure in there, it, it, it flabbergasts me that there is a specific only for abortions law and it gets fast tracked through the courts without even a notice requirement to the parents. It, well, it's, it's mind-boggling. When ultimately, I mean, this is the problem when we get to these issues of who speaks for the child, because in the end, this is what, what we're talking about, right? I mean, the child we're saying can't speak for themselves in these cases, or at least can't speak 100% for themselves. And the, the, the issue is who speaks for them. And I'd much rather have the society that errs on the side of the parent than errs on the side of the state. And in the case where, where, where David is talking about, I mean, just imagine if either Alabama or California were allowed to get their way nationwide and then suddenly there were no choices even by moving. And, you know, I mean, I, I'd much rather have at least the, the situation where a parent could choose to make the wrong decision for their kid than, can, than where if the state says to take the wrong decision, you don't even get a choice. Uh, that's just terrible. Yeah, let, let me add, Jason, in the, Alabama, uh, the case of Alabama, uh, a lawsuit was brought and a federal court enjoined uh, enforcement of that Alabama law. Uh, incidentally, Leon, this is noteworthy. It's in a footnote. 33 different medical associations, 
filed amicus uh, curiae briefs in favor of the plaintiffs seeking to enjoin enforcement of the Alabama law. Oh, I wonder why. Let's go back to, are they motivated by uh, their medical positions or are they motivated by they get paid money to do these medical procedures? So mm-hmm. it's a real complex issue, but I, I think Jason's uh, point is well taken, which actually is repeating my point. Thank you, Jason. Plagiarism. Alabama's wrong. Paraphrasing. Alabama's wrong and California's wrong as governments, as governments for taking these these positions that say parents are not involved or don't get to be involved. Um, Again, both Alabama and California are taking the same point of view. The parent doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's that that's valid, David. David, I mean, you. I mean, obviously, I think the the principle of freedom and liberties and all that kind of stuff. I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, and I can see the whole point that Alabama is wrong and and California is wrong in terms of cutting out the parents' ability to raise their child as they see fit. My only point is, though, there are some lines that need to be drawn here, especially on this gender affirming care. That's my only point. There need hey, to be some lines here. And I'm not sure, honestly, I'm not sure what those lines are. I'm not but I think there should be some lines. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm pointing out that we have had this discussion of where is that line? Because does CPS take a child away from the parents who do want to affirm gender dysphoria by permitting and giving consent? To medical care that's what alabama would say and california would say cps should take ch- children away from the parents who are not affirming the child's desire to have gender affirming medical care and in, in terms of hormone blockers which by the way you can get off of hormone blockers but it doesn't undo what has happened i've that's read the true. research on that so yes. whether or not there's surgery involved hormone blockers um pre-puberty hormone blockers or uh, surgery, California would say, let's take the children away from the parents because they're harming their child. And the question is, where is the right balance of state intervention to prevent harm? Because we all do agree, nobody should harm another person. The question is, what level of harm and what's the outcome? What's the downside? What are the risks attuned to it? And I, I, I go back to, it's not always the role of government to be involved in these aspects of our lives, nor is it our, as a society, should we be trying to tell other parents, other families, what their point of view should be or what their attitude should be, and whether it's religion or medical care. Now, again, Jason brought up a great example. If you don't believe in medical care and you're not, as a parent, going to deny your child a antibiotic that would based on medical, clear medical evidence be, uh, would arrest an infection your child has, that's harming your child. And yes, I can see, totally see why intervention would be appropriate by government to authorize a medical provider to give that antibiotic to a child who has a particular infection. But the, that's an easy extreme to see, right? The, the one who says, I'm going to just pray over you rather than have you receive uh, medical care over which there is no controversy. And incidentally, Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's one way to look at it. The controversies end 
10 or 15 or 20 years from now when we have more information. It, already we have more information now about vaccines and masks that are trying put making what happened over the last few years get put in their proper place and perspective. So one of the issues may be how quickly government acts on certain issues because it seems politically motivated rather than actually motivated by we've studied this, it's settled science. I mean, <laughs> that phrase alone causes me to chuckle because how often during the pandemic did we hear it's settled science? And the answer is, if anybody's really paying attention, there never, ever is settled science. Science exactly. is evolving. Science is always growing. Things we once understood as a fact, and this is never going to be different, clearly has been shown to be different in, in years to, down the road as, again, new, new uh, technological advances uh, allowed for, you know, the electron microscope or uh, uh, getting samples from the ocean floor, uh, different things. Science is not settled and it hasn't been settled on covid not settled on vaccines or, or masks, and we should continually, which thank goodness that, and one of the issues that Jason brought this up too is about funding of research. Maybe funding of research shouldn't go through NIH. Maybe funding of research should go through a blind process. One, one of the most fascinating uh, cases I ever had in my entire life was as a young lawyer representing a viola player in the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra who was injured. And as a result of that particular case, I took the deposition of the orchestra conductor and their musical director. Here's something I didn't know. Maybe you guys already knew this. When they do auditions for the symphony orchestra, they do it behind a curtain where the musical director and conductor sitting in the audience does not know if the person playing, male, female, LBGQT, how tall they are, whether they're good looking or not good looking, what their race is, nothing. They don't know anything. The only thing they know is what they hear from the music being played. And that's the basis on which they make their decision. And I'm suggesting that maybe in government and, and, and in funding of research, that should be it. It should be, here's the research we're going to do. And we're not looking for a particular answer. We're looking to find out whatever the science tells us at this moment in time by the methodology of our research proposal, we fund that because we want to know, not we're trying to find out if this doesn't work or does, you know, we're not, we're not seeking to validate or invalidate a particular perspective of an NIH official. Well, certainly objectivity would be great, even more objective. Just leave it to the market to, <laughs> to fund the research, too, would be pretty good as well. True, um, true. But, you know, we're well, getting... wait, wait, except, J Jason, if you leave it to the market, that includes pharmaceutical companies. And they, they don't necessarily, you know, honestly want to find the cure for everything. Oh, well, that's, that's true. But, it, it, you know, the, the issue is, you know, depending upon intellectual property rights and all these other things, there might be a lot of ways we could sort of jigger the scales a little bit to allow for, you know, public funding of a lot of these things. It, isn't government, but more just a voluntary type of thing. But but that would take us down a whole nother path. We're yeah. just about to the end of the show. And one thing I wanted to bring up when we talked about, uh, you know, just bad information from government on the science and, and uh, you know, unsettled science and all that, um, you know, Canada's chief, maybe we could bring this visual up.
up real quick. This is just a quick snippet to end on. But um, Canada's chief public uh, health officer, uh, I guess, did a public service announcement with Mrs. Claus. So this is sort of aimed at little kids, right? And right. essentially telling good little boys and girls to go get their COVID shots. So they, not only are they kind of propagandizing, but it was funny because later in the video, they actually gave some very curious advice. Uh, she said that, uh, you know what, if you're gathering indoors uh, with uh, other people or elves, open a door or window for a few minutes at a time to let in some fresh air. And it's kind of funny because in Canada, they're going through sub-zero <laughs> temperatures right now. And it's hard to believe that they're going to be asking all these kids to open doors and windows when it might be negative 20 Fahrenheit outside. You're going to kill the virus. You're going to definitely kill the virus. You might kill everybody else too, but you're going to kill the virus. Well, killing the host. <laughs> I'm not an HVAC expert, uh, but I suspect that in your uh, heating system in homes, there is a, a means by which uh, fresh air is injected into the heating system. And that probably is as plus there's a filter involved. And if I think the advice would have been better to say, uh, use a high uh, efficiency filter in your HVAC to ensure <laughs> it. Because at least the one I use in my home, it, it's right. at least it says so. I, I, I guess I believe it on the on the uh, wrapping. It says that it, it it traps particles small enough, including viruses. So yeah. there you go. So oh yeah, yeah. yeah. From, from yeah, an by the way, perspective, it, it, it absolutely is a self-contained system. So you've got to put a filter it, in. Quick if you observation. Want to catch it. <laughs> um, this is the U.S. of A. and hopefully your audience is U.S. of A. people, right? Um, can we call them Americans? Stanford University says we can't call them Americans anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, politically incorrect to do that. But that said, um, it's interesting. We often, as a society, look to other countries, uh, China, Iran, Iraq, uh, Venezuela, and say, oh, look at what they're doing. It's so awful what they're doing. Even Canada at times, we need to look at what Canada does and say, yeah, we don't want to be doing that. And the, this contrast, the stark contrast is when Canada is acting in a way which is even worse than in the USA of trying to tell its citizens what they must or should do or not do. We need to take lessons from other countries and make sure we don't fall into that same trap of thinking governments there to solve all problems for all people right. at all times at all cost because yes. government can't work that way and ever last. And that, that may be a, a message we can, we need to share more, which is government's not here to solve all our problems, all our aches and pains, all our issues for all people at all times, no matter the cost, either financial cost or the cost to our Liberty. Yeah. No, I think that's an excellent point to end on. And by, by the way, James, can you just bring up the Parents USA page again real quick? So uh, yeah, if you want to find out more about uh, David's organization and a little bit more about how you can either help them out or if you need some help on some of these parental uh, rights issues, go check that out. Um, and also, too, we've done several other shows in the past. This isn't David's first rodeo with us. <laughs> we have a few other interviews with him as well. So go check some of those out as well if you want to hear about a few other uh, issues with with uh, parental rights that we've dealt with. And as today is December 26th, you only have five days left in the tax year. 
And I'm sure everybody's excited about paying your taxes to the U.S. government and the IRS. But, hey, we are a 501c3. And check with your tax advisor. But your donations made by 1231 are should be tax deductible. Okay. Well, yeah. that, that sounds like a great cause. Uh, so thanks so much, David, again, for joining us. And uh, thank you all for joining us as well. And um, have a great new year to all of our uh, listeners. And until next year, stay free. David, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. Happy New Year. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.